Have you ever tried to help a friend only to leave with the feeling that that good-intentioned help somehow fell flat? Or on the other side, have you been on the receiving end of a sincere attempt to help by someone only to leave feeling worse than when the discussion started? How does this happen? Even with both parties operating out of total sincerity. How do people of goodwill miss the mark while trying to be of help to one another? Is there a way to approach people helping that increases the quality and the effectiveness of the interaction? Well, thankfully there is, and we can learn it from the Word of God. And so we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture today, one verse, though we will go on, to, on some rabbit trails as we discuss it, but one verse that I think will be very helpful in regard to helping us to know how to help other people in an effective way, in a way that honors our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're gonna be studying scripture together, and we're reminded that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and for training in righteousness. And so we're going to grab a little snippet of God's word today, 1 Thessalonians 5.14, and we're, hopefully we will leave here with something that we can use for the rest of our lives that will really make a difference in how we understand how to help people and also how to receive help from people. And so let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5.14 together. You'll notice that it is short but very sweet. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Now you'll notice that when we put it up on the slide here, we've kind of broken the verse out. Let's go back to that slide again. We've broken the verse out a little bit. First of all, we have an introductory phrase. Then we have kind of a triad of different ways of relating to people and people in different situations. Three kinds of people and three ways to help. And then finally, a concluding thought, a summary thought that relates to the whole teaching. And so let's look at this verse in greater detail, one phrase at a time. Then we'll get into the application. What do we do with this information that the Lord has provided us? So on the next slide, we'll see that the first phrase is, we urge you brothers. Now this is a apostolic urging. This is the Apostle Paul who wrote this book to a group of Christians in a Greek city called Thessalonica. And he wrote this to answer some questions that they had. And then at the end of this letter that he wrote, he threw in a bunch of kind of like good ideas, wise sayings, ways to relate to one another. Verses like pray without ceasing. There's a whole sermon right there. Or rejoice evermore. Wow, how does that work? But this is one of those short uh, phrases that he gave us to really urge us into an effective way of living with one another. It's good advice. It's an apostolic urging. And it's written to all of us. Now, sometimes in scripture when you see like the, the word brothers there, uh, you might think that's um, only written to the men or written to leaders or something. And that's not really the case at all. This particular word uh, probably in our language should better be translated brethren which would include the cistern, but 
uh, in, 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 in actuality, we don't use that word anymore, right? Brethren. And so uh, let's just understand this. This includes all of us. It's all of us as a group, as a community living together. And so this is an important thing to take into account for our lives. It's an important thing to apply to our lives. It's being given to us out of God's word. It's an apostolic urging. It applies to all of us, so let's pay attention to it. That's the gist of the first phrase of this verse. Looking at the second phrase, admonish the idol. Now, to admonish the idol is the first group of people that we want to look at. What does it mean to be an idol person in this day and age? Well, the original language this word idol is octoctus in the Greek, which means to be out of order or insubordinate. Probably the best way for us to understand that today is that a person who's just being rebellious, just a troublemaker, somebody who knows what's the right thing to do, but eh, at this point doesn't really care, and they're just going to do whatever they're going to do. Uh, rebelliousness, and intentionality, this is a willful sin. Now, what are we told to do in a situation where we're dealing with someone who is rebellious. Well, we are to admonish them, we're told in this verse. This admonish, or nutheteo in the Greek, literally means to put something into their mind. Uh, more naturally, in our language, we would say it's to warn them. To warn them. This rebellious activity, this rebellious attitude that's being carried out by this person, whoever they may be, our friend, uh, a child, whatever, and we'll get to that a little later as to how this all applies in various aspects of our lives. But whatever it is, the correct intervention for an idle person is to warn them of the consequences of this behavior, of this attitude. Sounds a little bit like love and logic if you've ever heard of that program before. Um, it's, it's warning them that the path that they are on is going to lead to destruction serious consequences, whether these consequences come naturally or whether they come otherwise, as in God bringing some consequences. Because as we know from Scripture, he who he loves, he also chastens. God does discipline his children in order to bring them back into line. And so we as a friend or as a spouse or as a parent or as an employer or whatever, at times are being asked when we're seeing someone who's really getting out of line, they're going down a path that's going to lead them to some really bad consequences, that it's time to step in and confront and warn and give them kind of this direct uh, intervention. Uh, if there was a tool on your tool belt, this tool would be the hammer, okay? It's very direct, it's very uh, important. It takes courage sometimes to, uh, to use a hammer in, you know, in a, in a relational setting, but it's important to keep this in mind. Now, the next phrase <clears throat> is to encourage the faint-hearted. Now, it's important to know, we're looking at three different kinds of situations, that sometimes a person may be discouraged. This is not a person in rebellion. This is a per person who's being discouraged. Now, in the original language, the Greek, oligosukos, is the word, and it literally means small-souled. Now you can imagine, you remember uh, the Wizard of Oz? And when Dorothy and her friends uh, walk into the, the palace, and uh, they see this scary uh, 
creature and noise and smoke and, and they're just frightened to death. And then Toto goes over and pulls back the curtain and there's this old guy back there pulling levers and trying to put on a big front or whatever. Um, and it's kind of like you, they thought there was this big scary thing and all it was was this little guy, right? And so you kind of think of it that way. This is a person, not that we want to make, make fun or light of depression because it's this very serious thing, but it's a, it's a person who just feels really small, like they're small-souled and uh, very discouraged. They feel about this tall inside. What do we do with a person who's feeling depressed or anxious, no matter whether this depression comes from a particular situation or whether this person is more prone to, to depression just because of their own predispositions, depression that sometimes comes because their brain runs a little cold when it comes to joy or satisfaction or security, and so it creates this emotional state. But either way, what is it that we should be doing in order to help this person? Well, it's certainly not pull out a hammer. That's not the, that's not the situation here. The situation that we're being asked to intervene is to encourage, to speak near is the literal meaning of that word. And you can just imagine being up close and whispering things in their ear and that kind of thing, presenting a shoulder to cry on, a, an intervention that, that is, as Scripture talks about, closer than a brother and so on, drawing alongside of a person, giving them courage, giving consolation, giving perspective about the situation. Did you know that right now there's an epidemic of loneliness in our society? An epidemic of loneliness. The secular world is noticing this and trying to figure out what, what can we do about it or what's even causing it. And there's, that's a whole interesting discussion in and of itself. But the bottom line is, you know and I know that there's nothing worse than feeling alone that no one understands, that no one cares, that no one can relate, and so on. And so this is an intervention that says, when I know someone who is discouraged, despondent, anxious, that I can draw alongside of them and to give them encouraging words, to be there for them, as the saying goes. Now the third phrase in this verse is to help the weak. So now what we've seen so far We've seen that some people may be actually making bad choices and doing it intentionally. And then there's other people who are just depressed and discouraged. And now we have a third kind of person, a person who really doesn't know what to do. They are weak, without strength, lacking in ability, impotent or ignorant. Okay, so this would be the person that just doesn't know how. How do I proceed? What should I do? I don't know where to begin. I don't know the principles to follow. Does anybody have any good ideas for this situation? And so what we're encouraged to do is to again come alongside of them, to join in their struggle, to be there for them, to leverage in our wisdom, our experience, our strengths into their lives so that we teach them what to do, how to do it, even while we're walking alongside of them. So, so far we have seen three different kinds of people struggling with three different uh, situations and there are three different interventions that we've been told are applicable to those situations. Now, finally, however, we're told that we should be patient with them all. Patient with them all. 
Ah, fascinating concept. So not only are we to be kind of smart in how we help people, how we diagnose what's going on and, and what, what's the best kind of help that we can deliver, but that no matter what the situation is, yes, including those people who are rebellious, we are told to be patient with them all. Now, where in the world is that coming from? Well, I think the perspective is something about this. In Ephesians 2.10, we're told that we are God's workmanship. Literally in the Greek, we are his poem, his poema. God is at work in our hearts, your hearts and mine, constantly bringing about healing and wholeness in a way that only he can do. This is the grace of God. This is not something we can do ourselves. Not only can we not find our way to heaven in terms of eternal life, we can't even find our way in this life on our own. This is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that God provides the grace for us to live our lives as well as to live with him forever. God is patiently working in us and on us. He is bringing health and wholeness into our struggles, into our broken souls. So, as Christ followers, so must we be patient. Be patient with people as they progress in their lives, as they learn new lessons. Be patient with them as we're teaching them new skills. Be patient with them as we are encouraging them as they are discouraged. Be patient with them even when they're in rebellion and we have given them the warning and told them the possible path that they're going down. So, that's the verse in a nutshell. What are some guiding principles that we have learned in looking at this verse that I think will help us to be better people helpers? Well, first of all, it is vital that we learn to make the proper diagnosis of a person's heart condition before we intervene. Now, because of my background, I can't help but use the word diagnosis, but please don't let that, that throw you off. You know, it's like, well, I don't, can't diagnose anybody. Well, that's not really the point. The point is this general idea of, are they in rebellion? Are they discouraged? Or do they just not know how? That's diagnosing the situation, right? And so that's the first thing we're asked to do in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, is if we're gonna be a good people helper, we're going to know how to stop and really diagnose the situation before we dive in. Secondly, once the proper diagnosis is attained, the proper intervention must be used. We don't use a hammer on a leaky pipe. Well, maybe we do, but it's not gonna help in the long run. Uh, and so we have to use the right tool for the right situation. And the verse tells us that when a person is in rebellion, what do we do? We give them a warning. If they're discouraged, what do we do? We come alongside and encourage, give courage, give perspective. And if they're weak and seem to be puzzled and confused, what do we do? We come alongside and, and we provide biblical principles. We pro provide wisdom and direction teaching in order to help them know, oh, okay, that's how this works. And now we have, help, we have helped them. And once again, patience is required in every instance. And so it's important that we use the right tool belt. I don't know if you've ever noticed before, but an electrician's tool belt looks different than a plumber's tool belt 
which looks different than a carpenter's tool belt. And there's a reason for that, right? And so you see that big wrench there. That's very useful for some things, but it would not be fun to build a wall using that tool. There is a hammer for that purpose, and so on. And so in the same way, when we find ourselves in a situation of, of people helping, it's important that we use the right tools, eh? or put on the right tool belt, whatever metaphor you want to use, and that will make a big difference. So let's look at this whole process of proper diagnosis and intervention. Okay, and I know I'm repeating myself, but why do I do that? So that we will remember when we leave, because it's easy to sometimes not even remember things that we've heard or learned the same day that we heard them, much less later, and so I'm hoping that, that this will stick and it'll be something very useful. If the heart condition is rebellious, the proper intervention is a clear and firm warning. Paint a picture for the individual of where this particular attitude or behavior is going to lead them if they don't stop. Help them to understand that the foolishness that's being demonstrated in their lives through this rebellious attitude, where they know what is right, but they're not going to do it, or they aren't doing it, help them to understand that this foolishness will lead to destruction as it progresses throughout their life. On the other hand, if the heart condition is discouragement, then the proper intervention is personalized encouragement. Provide the shoulder to cry on, but also provide an infusion of courage. Help them to understand who Christ is and how he can provide for them in the situation. Help them to understand their situation in a new perspective. If the heart condition is weakness, the proper intervention then is practical help. Show them how. Give them practical instruction. Give them biblical principles to follow that will help them to see their way through this puzzling situation that they've confronted. And again, for all heart conditions, the helper must be patient. Now, how many of you see patience as a personal strength of yours? I thought so. Why is patience so difficult? Well, whatever the reason is, we all seem to be willing to admit that patience is not one of our strong points. And maybe it's good that we understand that because actually patience is one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Patience is a gift from God that he can give you that even though you can't generate it in and of yourself, it's not maybe one of your strengths, that God provides patience as we walk in the Spirit, and that, that is actually God's patience being lived out in and through us as we are helping other people. So we say, well, I'm not a patient person, so I'm not a good helper. It's like, uh, time out. If you are a Christ follower, and the Holy Spirit is living in your life, therefore, and you are walking in the Spirit, you're choosing to follow Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to guide you on a daily basis, then patience is an option for you. Not because you figured it out, but because God can give it to you as a gift. And you can be an amazing, patient people helper if you do it under submission to God's direction in your life. It's a gift from God, 
It is not something that you can generate in and of yourself. It is not something that, but it is something that is very necessary. And so God will provide it as you submit to him. So here's maybe an easy way to remember what we've been talking about in the next slide. And that is, ask yourself a question in a situation. Does this person need a hand because they need help? Or do they need a hug because they need some encouragement? Or they, do they need some heavy words because they're in sin? Okay? I couldn't actually think of a one-word H that fit there, so you're going to have to live with two. I'm sorry. If you all can help me with that, that would be really awesome. But I just can't come up with that one. So, you know, if a person is in sin or, or about to, to go into sin and you, you see it coming, give them the warning. Give them the heavy words. So... Ask, ask yourself in a situation, what do they need right now? Do they need a hand? Do they need a hug? Or do they need some heavy words? And maybe that will help you to remember this triad of interventions that this verse tells us to use when we're really trying to be a good people helper. Now, we might ask ourselves this question, well, how do I make a good diagnosis? How do I really understand what's going on? Well, first of all, as I've already mentioned, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's guidance. If you've encountered a situation, and obviously if you're a parent, you do this on like a multiple times a day, but even with a spouse, even in a job, even with friends, you know, you kind of become aware, oh man, here's a, here's a situation. What, a, what am I supposed to do? Well, ask the Holy Spirit for guidance. Slow down. Ask questions. Ask the Spirit Help me, Lord, to understand what is really going on right now. And you know how this can be even with, our, with kids. It's like we can jump to conclusions, much less with friends or anybody else. We can jump to conclusions that we think we know what it is and go down a path. And then we end up in that scenario that I painted at the beginning of this where they feel worse for us trying to help than they did when we started. And you know how that feels on the receiving end as well. And so we need to slow down and ask the Lord for specific guidance. What is really going on here? Because I want to help in the correct way. I want to use the right intervention. But here's another thing. Know your own diagnostic tendencies. What in the world do I mean by that? Okay. Some of you are naturally more prone to be confronters. Your preferred tool is the hammer, okay? And that's, that's fine, as long as you know that. And you realize that, oh, so my natural tendency, no matter what the situation presents, is to come at it this way. I'm gonna come at it with the hammer. Now, others of you are very different than that. You're more peacemakers or whatever, and so you're more like, I just want to listen, I just, you know, and then, and that's good too, because listening is important. It sounds like that's what people need sometimes if they're discouraged. And some of you are natural teachers, and so that's your first inclination. It's like, okay, let's figure out what's going on. I may need to know this and this and this and this, and so you kind of get into lecture mode, and you're going to let them know all of the principles and facts and figures and everything about it, and so hopefully that will help. That's good too. But the point of this verse, the point of this instruction from the Lord is that we need to use the right intervention in the right situation, okay? And so, if your natural disposition is to be confrontive, 
You need to know that about yourself. And when you're going through this spirit-led diagnostic process, it's like, what's going on here? How should I intervene? What should I do next? Then realize that, okay, my first inclination is to confront, but this situation may not call for that. Does it, Lord? (laughs) And if it does, great. If it doesn't, then guess what you get to do? You get to use plan B or plan C, which may not be your natural inclination, but the Lord is asking you to be, just be calm and be an encourager or to be quiet or to be a teacher right now, even though that's not your normal inclination. Or, as you can imagine, if your normal inclination is to be more of a listener and an encourager and whatever, and the person needs some confrontation right now, they don't need another, oh, it's okay. They need a, if you keep this path you are going to suffer and others are going to suffer with you. Oh, now that's a lot different. And so you have to know what your natural predisposition is and then what this particular situation calls for. And obviously in the same way for if you're a more natural teacher or helper type, you need to know that there are times in which that natural strength of yours is what situations call for and God bless you, do it. But there are other times in which it's like, whoop, you know, this calls for a confrontation right now, or this calls for an encouragement right now. It doesn't call, it's not calling for this helping mode right now. And finally, be patient. Go slowly. Take your time. Figure it out. Ask the Lord for direction. Well, what happens if I use the wrong intervention? Is it really that big of a deal? Well, it can be. I would propose that the wrong intervention can lead at times to further discouragement in the case of the person on the receiving end. What if they don't need a lecture? What if they don't need a guilt trip? And now maybe they're more discouraged because the wrong approach was being used as we're trying to help someone. Or strained relationships. Do you remember the story of Job in the Bible? very famous book in the Bible that talks about suffering and one of the aspects that plays out in that book uh, is Job's friends try to help him and uh, and that help is kind of a little bit misplaced they, they did they do do some things correctly they they went to him and they sat with him and they empathized with him but then after a while they started trying to help and unfortunately their help was misguided. They mischaracterized Job and his life and what his problem really was. They, they misunderstood the whole dynamics and the purpose of suffering. And so the conclusions that they were giving to Job and the help that they were trying to give to Job was not helpful at all. Job's conclusion was, in responding to his friends, was that you are miserable comforters, all of you. And so it is important that we use the right intervention because otherwise relationships can get strained. It, it also can be a hindrance to healthy growth if we use the wrong intervention. We can send people down the wrong path because we're giving them the wrong directions can also end up in inappropriate relationships. We can make people dependent on us when that's not what's healthy at all. We want them to be dependent on Christ. 
And so we have to get our directions correct, our interventions correct as we're dealing with people. Okay, let's get practical here. In what situations do these principles apply? Let's think about marriage for a minute. Our relationships with our spouses. I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to you. But what if your spouse right now, because of a struggle that they're going through or something that we're picking up on or whatever, what if they need a hand? They just need a hand. That you can help them sharing out of your strengths and vice versa. There are times in which we need our spouse's strengths. And so that sharing back and forth, helping to grow together, that that's what the situation calls for. But what if the situation calls for a hug? Just some encouragement, just to be there for them, just to listen. Maybe that's what the situation is calling for right now. Or how about heavy words? Sometimes it, it does take courage to confront, but sometimes that's what's needed. Now this confronting is a lot easier if your spouse knows that you really are on their side, that you are a safe person, and maybe you have at other times given them a hug or given them a hand so that they realize that this isn't just the hammer all the time. But sometimes con confrontation is necessary in a marriage relationship. Isn't it important that we think things through so that we understand as a situation comes upon us, what, what is next? What do I do? How do I respond? Well, there's at least three different ways that we can respond once we figure out what's going on, we'll, we will choose the correct intervention. Well, how about parenting? Wow, parenting. Sometimes we see this behavior in our children, and it's important that we understand. Now, is this childishness that I'm seeing, or is it foolishness? Childishness is, well, a five-year-old's gonna act like a five-year-old, you know? But then foolishness is, no, they know better, and they are flaunting the situation. Now, how are you going to know which it is? Because the same behavior could come from either one of those modalities. The behavior can look the same, and it can be childishness or it can be foolishness. Well, maybe this triad of interventions, this, this, this way of looking at things that 1 Thessalonians 5.14 provides us will help us in our parenting. We can actually say, okay, what do they need right now? Do they need a hug? Do they need a hand? Or do they need some heavy words? Maybe that's a good way of kind of stopping ourselves for a moment and rather than going with our first reaction that we can actually slow down and figure out what's going on and be more effective in our interventions with our children. Friendships, same thing. Leadership, working with employees or fellow employees in a workplace. Do they need instruction? Do they need correction? Do they need deflection? What, what, what's the situation calling for? But let's just not automatically go with our first gut instinct because that may be just coming out of our own natural predispositions rather than out of a guidance from the Holy Spirit. So, let's be reminded of the guiding principles. If we're to be an effective people helper, it is vital that we learn to make the proper diagnosis of a person's heart condition before we intervene. 
And then once that proper diagnosis is attained, then we use the proper intervention that this scripture makes very plain that we should be using. But in every situation, every situation, it is vital that we be patient. As God is patient with us, we should be patient with one another. Or asking in a different way, on the next slide, do they need a hand? Because they need help. Do they need a hug? Because they're discouraged. Or do they need some heavy words? Because they are in sin or headed down the path of sin. Another way of looking at this, sometimes you've heard of this head, heart, and hands triad. That could apply here too. Do they need a hand? Do they need a hug? Or do they need some recalibration? <laughs> some heavy words, you know, that help them to understand what's really going on. Again, hand, heart, and head. So again, looking at 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. May the Lord help us to be guided by the Spirit, guided by our own goodwill towards helping one another, and to use this three-way intervention model that we can be better at helping people and that people can be better in helping us. Maybe this make a difference in our own community, our own families as we go forward. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that your word is so plain as we look at it that it teaches us practical things about how to live life. I thank you that, that you are patient with us and that you intervene in the ways that are wise and useful to us. So help us to be Christ followers that will intervene with each other in the same way, with great wisdom and love. We thank you for this opportunity to look at your word, and now we ask your guidance even as we conclude our time of worship together, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.